Welcome to the Fantasy Baseball Beat. Everybody. Welcome to the Fantasy Baseball Beat. I'm Mike Carter taking a shot at this hosting thing tonight. Joined as always by our wonderful co-hosts Chris Torres and Carlos Marcano. Guys, how are you doing tonight? Oh, good, Mike. I'm happy that you're hosting. I, I'm just going to sit back. I'm going <laughs> to relax. I got my I, things are going to get a little, you know, crazy in here. I got my chamomile tea. Oh, boy. Uh, I even put a little honey in it. Yeah, it's it's going to get wild. But uh, yeah. Happy to, uh, excited to talk some Dodgers here. Couple of days away from spring training getting started for our favorite teams. Carlos, how are you feeling about the A's? Ha <laughs> ha, funny joke. You're so funny, man. Come on, let's, let's, <laughs> let's, let's move on. Let's move on. But, yeah, so uh, as Torres said, we have uh, talking about the Dodgers tonight, and we have a special guest. Fabian Ardaya is joining us tonight. Fabian, how are you doing tonight? Good, how are you guys doing? Hanging in there for you know a midwestern Chicago winter, not too bad today. It was about forty degrees, a little bit of rain, looking like we're finally getting to spring here. So, um, Fabian, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and and how you got started in the field and and how long you've been covering the Dodgers? You do great work. Please let everybody know where they can find you as well. Yeah, I mean, you can find me over at the Athletic. Uh, been with them since twenty eighteen, covering the Dodgers specifically since uh, around May of twenty twenty one. So the last couple seasons. Uh, I got started just uh, sort of freelancing after college, uh, did some internships at LB.com while I was in college, did some freelancing, uh, Athletic was starting to expand, they needed freelancers that are based in Arizona, which is where I grew up, uh, so I was able to sort of do some freelance stories for them there, and they brought me on full time. That's awesome. Very cool. So, you, so you've so you been with The Athletic kind of uh, a long time then, that's pretty sweet. Yeah, yeah, it's crazy to think about. It's coming on five years now, which is wild to think about because it still feels like I'm just getting started there. So <laughs> <laughs> that's really cool. That's really cool. So we wanted to ask you a few questions about the Dodgers. You know, the Dodgers are kind of an intriguing team for a lot of reasons. Obviously, in the past, we're used to talking about the Dodgers spending a lot of money in the offseason on free agency and making some big acquisitions. They didn't really do that this year. So we wanted to kind of ask you some questions about some of the people that are there right now and kind of what the outlook is for the team. And one of the guys that we're super interested in asking you about is Miguel Vargas. Um, what do you expect from him this year? And are you anticipating that he's going to play second base full time this season? It seems like there's been kind of mixed reports as to what we can be expecting from his for his playing time this year. Uh, playing time definitely is going to play a lot. Uh, I think they they pretty much set out from the start like he's going to get a large run of at-bats to sort of figure it out. Um, they feel really confident in that bat and what he's able to do offensively. I think that's the biggest thing that's going to carry him no matter where he plays. Right now, it does sound like he's going to play second base. Uh, maybe not on an everyday basis at second base, maybe play some third base and DH, some outfield. But it's going to be a lot of second base, which is uh, a little bit of a surprise considering how the rest of the offseason went for the Dodgers. You thought if they lost Dustin Turner, they sort of filled up that DH spot. Their outfield's pretty set at that. And that Gavin Lux would be vacating second base. You still thought that'd be maybe more Max Muncy, but 
sounds like Max Muncy really feels comfortable defensively at third base. They really like Miguel Vargas's athleticism uh, at second base. Uh, so they're going to give that a shot. Uh, but regardless, it's going to be, like I said from the beginning, like his bat is what's going to get him playing time. And they feel really good about what he could be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he looks like he could end up being a really good player for them. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he like uh, just watching him talking to people who've been around him for a long time. Like, just the feel for hitting is really special. Uh, the power started to come on the last couple of years, but he's always had great bats of all skills. Uh, draws a lot of walks, even for a guy uh, so as young as he is. At the very least, it's gonna be gap power. It's gonna be a lot of doubles, mm-hmm. a lot of base hits, and he's gonna be one of those guys where. Uh, I think if he puts up an 800 OPS this year, it wouldn't surprise me. Wow. Yeah. And he, he kind of mold of what the Dodgers, um, you know, what, what they have on their team, which is a lot of roster flexibility and guys who could move around the diamond. And another one of those guys is Gavin Lux. Uh, you know, he hasn't quite lived up to the expectations he had when he first came up, but, uh, now it sounds like he's going to really get a shot. And the, the talk is that he's going to be the starting shortstop for the team. So, um, Tell us, is that your expectation that he is going to be there um, pretty much every day at shortstop? And uh, do you think there's any risk like in terms of a platoon or uh, just what are your thoughts in general on his playing time? I think I can say pretty good certainty, like on opening day, he will be their shortstop. Uh, I think they obviously traded for another shortstop, Miguel Rojas. He's going to be more of a utility role. He's going to be sort of bouncing around, maybe hitting against left hand pitching a little bit. Uh, maybe at least for giving guys a day off here and there. So I'm not saying that Lux is going to be out there every day, but he's going to be out there most of the time at shortstop. They're going to give him a shot. They really liked what he did offensively last last season. He sort of took a step forward. Power wasn't quite there, but he still Mm -hmm. obviously was hitting 300 before he injured his neck in September. Um, So they feel really good about what he could be. I think they're giving him a shot to be there. Could I see them maybe making a move at the deadline to improve the shortstop position? Probably. I, I think they could see like, if the right opportunity falls into their lap, if a Willie Adamas or a Tim Anderson comes available, I could see them making that sort of swing and uh, sort of sliding Lux back to second base. But he's going to be their shortstop to start the season. Mm-hmm. There's another another weird situation there, but this time in the outfield, you know, with the Chris Taylor and Trace Thompson. So... Do you think that's settled for them that, that they are going to start with left and as, as the left and center fielder? What about James Outman? What, what, how does he fit over there? Yeah, I don't think they know who their center fielder is going to be this year. Uh, I think that's the biggest thing. I think they've continued throughout the offseason to keep looking in the outfield. They haven't really done that much in terms of guys on big league deals to sort of improve that. Uh, they have some guys on minor league deals that they sort of mentioned during the race, guys like Jason Hayward, Bradley Zimmer. But, I mean, James Outman is the guy who probably has the best upside in center field besides mm-hmm. Chris Taylor. It's it's either Outman or Chris Taylor in center field. Taylor's going to get a-bats no matter what, whether it's in center or in left. It's just a matter of how they feel best aligns defensively there. But Outman, I, they feel really good about his ability to sort of handle uh defensively the responsibilities they feel good about sort of the overall athleticism he brings to the position just a matter of if he's gonna swing and miss too much mm-hmm. uh, yeah off to a great start and in, in uh in to big leagues uh, when he got like 16 plate appearances but like that's a super small sample and mm-hmm. it's pretty telling that they 
sort of still traded for Joey Gallo, that they still had Joey Gallo on the postseason roster over him, even <laughs> though Gallo didn't get a plate appearance during the postseason series. But I think I think I, if I were putting money on it, I would put on James Outman starting the season on the opening day roster. I don't know if he's going to be an everyday player off the bat, but he's someone who at least has the versatility to play all three outfield positions and in a pinch can be sort of a fourth outfielder for you if he doesn't win the starting center field job outright. Right away. Okay, that that's interesting because Altman has looks like has a, a lot of upside. Yes, the, the, those that K rate is a little bit too on the high side, but but the upside is amazing. So if if he starts the 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 season with them, it should be interesting seeing him fighting for a chance, right? Yeah, it should be really interesting. Um, probably the biggest name that they brought in this offseason is JD Martinez and. A lot has been written and said about him over the course of the last few months. You know, he's, he's in his age 35 season. Um, it, it appears in some ways that his best days are behind him. What do you think the Dodgers expect of him this year, Fabian, in terms of his production? And do you think that he can rebound to anywhere close to his prior level of performance? I don't think he's going to be like necessarily like leading a lineup. But I think he's going to be a type of guy that they feel confident Sort of like the same sort of offensive production that they sort of expected out of Justin Turner for the next couple of years. Like that same level caliber hitter obviously comes in different ways for those guys. But I think they're putting also putting a bet on the fact that he is reunited with Robert Vanskoyak, who is mm-hmm. a hitting coach who helped unlock this sort of career renaissance for him. He's reconnected with Mookie Betts, a lot of familiar faces. I, I think they're sort of hoping that he gives some sort of stability uh, to the rest of that line lengthens it out a little bit. They're not going to put a lot on his plate, but he's going to be a guy who sort of pencil in there, fifth or sixth spot, or maybe clean up every single day. Sort of hope that just consistent quality at bats can sort of keep the line moving. He's not someone that they're going to hope tries to carry them. They have a couple of former MVPs who can do that. Will Smith can do that. Uh, I think they're sort of hoping for more of what he was the first half of last season where he mm-hmm. still was an all-star. And they're still hoping mm-hmm. that he can sort of have that type of production in there. Obviously, sort of how he finished the season was a little bit more concerning. And yeah, I know I'm skipping sure. ahead here to the, the fantasy section, but I'm so in on J.D. Martinez this year. I just feel like it's a perfect fit out there in L.A., like you were saying, reuniting with his old hitting coach in that lineup. He's, he's going to be driving in tons of runs. Um, just, I think he's in for uh, a renaissance year here, but we're going to move to the diamond and uh, talk a little, uh, I'm sorry, to the rotation and, and move to talking about the starters on this team. Um, so the top three we know are, uh, Julio Urias, Kershaw, Gonsolin, uh, behind them a little bit more, uh, of question marks. We've got Cindergard, who they brought in and Dustin May now in the second year back, uh, from Tommy John surgery. Can you talk about this rotation in general and what your expectations are for uh, this rotation next year? I think you sort of saw how they, how they target a lot of their starters, uh, the, the guys they were sort of targeting this winter. Besides, with the exception of Justin Verlander, they were sort of looking at guys who sort of fit the mold of what they did last year with Tyler Anderson, Andrew Heaney, these guys who have some stuff that they feel like they can tap into. They know that they're not necessarily always going to be guys that you can count on for 30 starts if you need to. Obviously, Tyler Anderson wound up leaving uh, the Dodgers innings pitch last year, but still, Andrew Heaney went on the shelf a couple of times, but it was really effective when he was there. I think was, they sort of looked at that when they sort of signed no Syndergaard, but also when they 
targeted a guy like Seth Lugo before he went with the Padres, like th- those types of guys who maybe there's one or two things they can sort of tap into. They know that they're probably not going to get 30 starts out of all five guys. Maybe one guy that they're sort of hoping that there's one guy in that group that can get 30 plus starts, but they can sort of make it work by the fact that they have good pitching development. They have a lot of really good pitching depth that's ready to sort of contribute to the big leagues. That's probably opening the season AAA where you sort of look at uh, two guys who debuted last year and Ryan Pepio and Michael Grove, but there's also obviously Bobby Miller and Gavin Stone. Mm-hmm. Your fancy guys have been targeting for a while. So mm-hmm. I feel like all four of those guys are going to wind up getting starts at some point this season. Uh, so it's just a matter of how it's a matter of when guys are in and out of the rotation on the injured list, stuff like that. You're not going to count on these guys to make 30 plus starts, but they feel good about where they are nine deep right now. I, I just feel like they're going to figure it out. Like it's a Dodgers. Mm-hmm. They just have this, uh, this secret sauce. It seems like, but I'm wondering Fabian, do you have any insight? Like what do they do? Like they take these guys. They took, like you, you mentioned Heaney, Tyler Anderson mm-hmm. last year. Um, what is there? Are there certain individuals in the organization that are kind of have a reputation as turning uh, for turning around pitchers? Is there some process that they follow? Any insight into what they do differently than other teams? I think it's the fact that they have like a such a wide net of people that sort of can help. It's not just rely on one guy. I know obviously Mark Fryer has done a really excellent job as pitching coach. Connor McGinnis mm-hmm. gets really rave reviews as assistant pitching coach. You sort of look at they have a guy a, whose entire job in their minor league system is just to oversee their pitching, uh, who came over from driveline, Rob Hill. Like They have an uh, infrastructure that works. I think mm-hmm. not being necessarily tied to one philosophy is something they've done pretty well, just sort of maximizing what each guy does well. I think with Tyler Anderson, it was tweaking the way he, uh, he gripped his changeup, going back to an old grip and ch- you know, sort of changing the usage of it. Uh, with Andrew Heaney, it was ditching a breaking ball that really never worked for him, mm. finding a new one and sort of get, keeping guys off of his fastball a little bit. So just stuff like that, finding one or two little tweaks. They're really good at game playing. They've always been really good at positioning defensively, which will be really <laughs> interesting to see this year without shifts, but they were really good uh, and effective at doing that last year. You sort of look at like defense, defensive efficiency, which is just basically measuring like all right the balls in play how often is that converted into outs dodgers have been one of the better teams in baseball doing that for years uh so they've always done that stuff really well sort of positioned their guys really well and put these pitchers in positions to succeed but also like yeah i think it's it's sort of different with each individual guy yeah they're just so damn smart man i like I'm so jealous as a Yankee fan. It's like I, I hear this and it, I feel like we should be on that level, you know, with the resources that we have. And it just seems like the Dodgers are just head and shoulders. Uh, and the, them and the Rays are really head and shoulders above the rest of MLB in terms of, you know, finding, uh, fixing players and developing players. Uh, it's pretty cool. But uh, Carlos, you were going to ask a little bit more about the the young starters. Yeah, but but just something that that came to my mind before transitioning to to the bullpen or something. I'm thinking about the Dodgers' philosophy. Do you think Clayton Kershaw's success is part, you know, team philosophy or or and and part his own you know hard work and and on all, all the stuff or 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 is there anything else that we don't see because he's like the best pitcher of the last 
decade for some he 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 could be you know like like he's a sure hall of famer at some point what's behind all his success you know i mean he was a first ballot hall of famer best pitcher on the mm. front even before this front office and this sort of structure came into place like he is yeah he is a special talent and always yeah. has mm-hmm. been and i think some of the his attention to detail and some of his work ethic has sort of been uh, sort of the stuff of legend uh, for a little mm-hmm. bit for years. Like, mm-hmm. so everyone sort of talking about like how he always is at the park at a certain time, always at like everything is sort of regimented and stuff like that. He's sort of relaxed that a little bit as he's gotten older, as he's evolved, right. he's learned his body, listened to his body a little bit more. But yeah, I mean, he is a maniacal competitor. Uh, I think that's the one thing that like it's <laughs> even as you sort of look at like some of the success stories the Dodgers have had the last few years, like it, it's still different when he's on the mound. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's amazing. So you just can't can't teach that stuff. You either have it or you don't, right? I mean, there's just no learning that. Yeah, exactly. So okay, going now with the with the young guys, we have a, a weird bullpen, and and in a good way because there are so many options in that bullpen. And uh, I was wondering because from a, from a fantasy perspective, we really one of the biggest questions that we want always to answer is. Who's going to close, right? Mm-hmm. And, and there are so many options. Phillips, Hudson, Graterol, Blake training, <laughs> if he recovers any time soon, or Alex Bejia. Who, who do you think it's going to start like like the Dodgers closer for this next year? I don't think the Dodgers are going to have a closer. I think they're going to sort of do... Oh, man, that's they, a terrible answer. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. The, the we hate him. I, I don't man. think they... They want to do it that way. Uh, this the way that the, that's the way they wanted to do it last year. They sort of saw they want to sort of switching from that plan at the end of spring training last year and trading for Greg Kimbrell. That was as much about clearing up some salary for this year as it was sort of solving uh, Kennedy Jansen's departure. But yeah, I mean, I think they want to go by matchups and they want to look sort of look through that, especially when you're looking at a bullpen that probably won't have Blake trying in this year. Uh, mm-hmm. in any meaningful sense at the very least if he does come back yeah. uh, so I mean you're sort of looking at they have some options that they probably feel good about like Evan Phillips had a great season last year Daniel Hudson was one of the most valuable relievers in baseball last year before he got hurt yeah. Alex Vesky is coming off a good few years and for all we know they're going to find another guy out of, the, out of nowhere to be part of their bullpen and really succeed like Yancy Almonte last year so like they mm-hmm. they have found the track record of finding these guys and putting them into roles and having them succeed. So I, I don't think they're going to have one designated strict guy. If I had it, like, yeah, well, guess like who winds up leading the team is in saves, like maybe Daniel Hudson, but like, that's about it. Just because he has more experience doing that. He's closed right. out world series before, but I don't think they're going to like designate him the closer at any point. Yeah, I, I figure Hudson because managers always like that. Like, like the, the, the guy with the most experience for this, situations and Evan Phillips will probably have the high leverage stuff uh, yeah. more than most of them right but the, there are so many options that it's it's so crazy to try to to find out who's the closer but I, I guess we're gonna have to settle for that yeah yeah <laughs> baby and having covered the team for the last five years like you've done uh and your work for the athletic do you think this team has enough this year to be able to hold off San Diego I mean San Diego really has made some improvements they they seem to really like to add big name guys and, and then doesn't always seem to work out exactly as they feel like it would. Do you think that they are the favorite in the NL West again this year? 
I don't think they're the odds on favor. I think it's pretty close. Uh, if I had to say who had the edge, probably San Diego, just by a little bit, just because you look at how far that team got last year. They got to the NLCS. Then they are going to get Tatis back at some point this year. They added Xander Bogarts. Like they, their rotation is still pretty good. Their bullpen's still really good. The Dodgers are still a very talented team. Uh, yes, still, they are. They're still going to be a postseason team. They're still going to be probably at least 90 wins, but I don't think they're going to necessarily run away with the division, win it by 20-plus games like they did this past year. Uh, I don't think it'll be sort of like how it was a couple of years ago with the Giants and Dodgers where they both won 105 games. I don't think the Dodgers are on that sort of super team level for the regular season, but they have, I think the way you look at how this team, your team is built, there's a lot of young guys, a lot of relying on that farm system to come up. I think they have a chance. I think they have a strong chance to probably be a much better team by the end of the season as they are, than they are opening day. I think that's mm-hmm. the thing that you're sort of looking at with this Dodgers team. I think that they're still obviously pushing for the division, but I don't know if they're necessarily the favorites. It's really interesting, isn't it? Because it's like a departure from your typical looking at the Dodgers over the last few years, right? They had a superstar at every position. We haven't even talked about Mookie Betts. We haven't talked about Freddie Freeman. Everybody knows what those guys are, but this is a team that actually has the ability, it looks like, to really coalesce into something that could be a really good team that is kind of flying under the radar a little bit with some of these guys that, um, might not be super well known yet to fantasy players. Yeah, it's a lot of new faces, and at the very least, they're going to have a shot, like a shot to sort of prove that they're ready. And if they're not, they can sort of figure out at the deadline, make some changes. Having that farm, number one farm system sort of gives them the fr- some of the freedom to be able to adapt and change midseason. But at least for the first few minutes of the season, they're going to have a shot to sort of prove it. Who do you think is going to be, uh, if you had to pick one player to surprise all of us this season, it could be an under-the-radar guy, a veteran, uh, or someone, uh, a younger player, someone coming up from the minors. Who do you think is going to, going to surprise us? I think just to go back to the first guy we talked about, Miguel Vargas, I think I'm really high on what he could be offensively. I think mm-hmm. uh, we'll see how it goes at second base defensively, if sort of adapting to a new position, trying to figure out all these different roles sort of becomes too much and leaks into his offense. But like if that bat plays, yeah. it's going to play wherever he plays. And I think that's going to be the biggest thing that maybe can elevate this lineup from what looks like a pretty good five deep lineup to more of a lineup, Dodgers lineup that we're accustomed to. That's one through nine, making that sort of difference. What do you think his upside is uh, on the base pass? Because that's one of the exciting parts of his game from a fantasy perspective is uh, it is that he provides that speed. What what would you say is like uh, a reasonable um, uh, guesstimate as far as what he's going to do as far as steals? Yeah, that's pretty surprising how fast he is on the bases. I, I think you sort of look at like his profile, you wouldn't necessarily think that he's as quick as he is. Um, but it's interesting. I think the Dodgers start, started running a little bit more last year than they had in previous years. They sort of leaned into more athletic of a team. Obviously, losing Trey Turner hurts that, but... Mm-hmm. Uh, Maybe the new base, uh, the new rules, sort of in terms of pickoff stuff like that, sort of encourages more guys like Vargas to sort of take chances early on. I I don't know how much how active he's going to be on the bases, but he's definitely going to be on the bases a lot. So that probably will give him more opportunities. Yeah, yeah. I got one question. Getting back to the rotation, then I'll hand it over to Mike to take us home. But uh, Dustin May, uh, I'm like totally enamored with him this year. Just I know last year wasn't great, but just the the stuff and the uh, the ability is, is just incredible. So I'm wondering, um, 
what do you think is a reasonable projection as far as innings for him this season? Do you see him going past 130, 140, or do you think that's kind of pushing it? I think they have enough depth to sort of preemptively find ways to sort of give him a breather if they need to. Dodger's going to uh, Dodger, I, yeah. Yeah, I, I don't think they're going to push it necessarily with him because they like to sort of always mention is like they view things through October, and I think mm-hmm. that's always going to be the biggest thing for them. Uh, but the biggest thing for him to get to 130, 140 innings is to sort of pitch like he did before he got hurt. And I think that's the biggest thing. Last year, as he came back, super erratic with his command, didn't have to <laughs> miss stuff. So if he can be the guy he was that month or so before he got hurt, obviously you're looking at a guy who's potential all-star, potential award conversation. But mm-hmm. otherwise, he's a guy who has been effective in his big league career but hasn't missed a ton of bats. Uh, especially compared to what you think he, he would do with his stuff. Um, obviously, has not always had the best command. So that's me the biggest thing for him going forward. Mm-hmm. I, I just wanted to to ask uh, just one last question regarding a guy, Ryan Pepia. I, I don't know how to, to pronounce that, guys. Help me help me out. Um, but do, what do you think is the plan for him this this season? Uh, with Pepio, he's probably gonna be like the sixth or seventh starter. I think he's gonna be the type of guy you sort of saw like last year, bouncing up and down, making a few starts. Uh, they're gonna give him a chance still to be a starter. I think the lack of strike throwing is gonna be an issue going forward. Yeah. He's gonna have to figure that stuff out. Especially last year, he struggled with his defining pitch all year last year. Like he was, everyone knows like his changeup is his go-to pitch, and he really had no feel for it all season. Especially once he came up to the big leagues. Uh, so that's me the biggest thing. If he can throw strikes, it's enough stuff to really have an opportunity to play into a bigger role. But he's gonna be a guy who you sort of look at more as depth for right now until he proves otherwise. Okay, thank that's you. That's great. Well, everybody, we've had a really great opportunity to sit with Fabian Ardaya for the last half hour or so. Thank you again for your time, Fabian. One last question that we kind of really want to ask you, um, and not necessarily related to the Dodgers, but any type of funny story or a great story that you could share with the folks that are listening to our show uh, in your time covering the Dodgers over the last five years? I mean, I, I think it's more, I, it's hard to really find like an individual story. I think sort of it's, it's always very interesting to like walk into a clubhouse or be or sort of walk onto the field and you sort of look and like, there's been different times where it's been like Max Scherzer and Clayton Kershaw are having a conversation or and then Albert Pujols will walk over. And it's it's something to sort of have that much star power in one room. And it's really interesting dealing with dynamic personalities like that just because mm-hmm. uh, these are guys who are, have always been the guy in the room. And I think one of the things the Dodgers have done pretty well is making sure all those sort of guys sort of fit and the pieces fit and it doesn't necessarily clash the way you'd expect. Who's your, favorite awesome. player, who's your favorite player to cover or uh, during your time with the team? Uh, this goes back to when I was covering the Angels, but I, I would probably say like just to watch on an everyday basis, to watch like what he could do on the field at any given time is probably Shohei Otani just because, mm-hmm. I mean, just looking at, he's different than any other athlete I've ever watched in person mm-hmm. just for what he's able to do on the field, how he moves, how hard he throws, how hard far he hits the ball it, it's honestly incredible and i think sort of go to go also to another angel mike trout watching him every single day it's one of those things where it stands out when you watch him every single day just how impressive he is because it's a certain level every single day and he does something, like one little thing every single day that sort of is different from the rest 
Well, you've seen a few good players in your time covering uh, the Angels of the yeah. Dodgers. It seems like yeah. <laughs> now, just yeah. a few, a, a, a slew of Hall of Famers that you just mentioned in, in name dropping that. But Fabian, tell us a little bit about where we can find you and your work and uh, where people can contact you if want if they wanted to. Yeah, you can find me over at The Athletic. Uh, you can find my work over there. Uh, and you can find me on Twitter at Fabian Erdaya, at F-A-B-I-A-N, last name A-R-D-A-Y-A. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for your time tonight. We really appreciate it. We hope to be able to hook up with you again midseason and see how all these things are kind of working out for the Dodgers if you have time for us again in the, in the middle of the season. So thank you so much for your time. We really appreciate it. Of course, anytime. Thank you, Fabian. Okay, everybody, we're back here at the Fantasy Baseball Beat, and we've brought in a very special guest. Um, You know him as the Fab Whisperer. He's also the head of MLB at FTN Fantasy. He is an NFBC League winner, I think, 43 times, two-time Tout War champion. We have the one and only Vlad Sedler, also known as Rotogut, with us. Vlad, how are you tonight? Gentlemen, thank you so much for having me. I appreciate being uh, coming on a show that is uh, award nominated. No. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty funny. We're, we we thought that was a joke at first. It turned out it was not a joke. So we were really very fortunate and excited. I, I want to tell everybody about my first time meeting Vlad, if I can do that really quickly, guys. So in Arizona this past winter um, at the first pitch Arizona, I found myself standing in the back of the room having a cup of coffee. And all of a sudden there's this tall gentleman, very slender, very good looking, standing next to me. And I look at it's Vlad. And Vlad says, oh, hey, you're Mike Carter. And I was like, um, yeah. <laughs> and it was one of those moments, if you guys remember the old SNL sketch where like Chris Farley is interviewing Paul McCartney, that was like a moment for me where I was just like, this is Vlad Sedler. So I'm, like, I'm texting, no, so I texted my wife and my kids and I was like, hey guys, I'm gonna see if I can get a picture with him later on, but I'm standing right next to Vlad Sedler right now. And of course, Jack knows what that means. But my wife and daughter were like, is he like a celebrity? I go, when fantasy baseball world he is. So that was pretty cool. So the thing that was really true, though, and I want to say this before we even get started, is that Vlad's as nice of a guy in real life as he is on the show. So he's just a wonderful guy. It was great to meet you. Uh, It was really very exciting for me. So Vlad, thank you again for being so nice to young guy, young, young guy, old guy kind of coming up in the industry here. So it was really nice to meet you and hang out. Thank Thanks you. That. I, yeah, I appreciate it. Thank you guys for having me on the show. That was fun. That was that was a really good time in Arizona, and it was great, you know, hanging out with you and and uh, you know watching watching some games. It was the World Series during that time too. It sure was. Yeah, yeah. It sure was. So Vlad, you know, I, I know a lot of people know you obviously from what you do, but could you tell us a little bit about how you got started in this industry? Yeah, I'm. I mean, it, I, I guess it goes back to me playing fantasy uh, in the early 2000s. Um, you know, the home Yahoo leagues. And uh, something called the CDM, um, the Diamond Challenge. So it was uh, the most popular game at the time. This is pre-NFBC. And they used to advertise in the USA Today. And they'd have like 20,000 plus entries. And it was, at the time, the largest prize for for fantasy. I think it was like 25,000 originally in the early 2000s. And, you know, college student, dead, and um, can hardly scrap together an entry. Uh, One of my (laughs) buddies who was a a diehard, he invited me to to join him and, and partner with him. And it was the uh, the Johan Santana year, and we ended up having him. And it, it was like a salary cap game that is basically like the pre DFS, like before DFS was DFS. It's kind of it. Um, and so we had 
we're one of the few teams with Johan Santana. So out of this pool of like 20,000 people, uh, we ended up fourth overall. And so wow. we got a few grand out of it. And, you know, back then it was absolutely, you know, huge. And it was kind of my start. And so I've been kind of smart and, you know, put a little to the side, then started, you know, entering NFBCs and things like that. So that's where I started on the playing side. Uh, on the content side, I always like to, to write and, uh, and, you know, basically I started, um, going to some of the, you know, the NFBC events and meeting people like Jeff Erickson and, and Derek Van Riper and these guys that I yeah, looked up to, I uh, listened to Sirius XM all the time on, you know, on, um, uh, started you know, being friends with them and, um, started doing a column on Rotowire, did some work for baseball HQ and just started networking and, and doing industry events and just, you know, kind of you know, went from there. But a big part of it, I think was, uh, in the sort of the, 2012, 2016 range. I was, you know, sort of before Twitter was really a big thing. I mm-hmm. did a lot of things in person and got to meet a lot of people. So I think that was uh, that really helpful to me getting a start. What's your That's greatest awesome. accomplishment in, in your eyes? Like, what what are you most proud of of what you've done in the industry? Whether I mean, it could be as a player or just something you've done in in terms of your content or your work at FTN. What are you most proud of? Man, I I, I probably would have to think about that question for a while um i think i'm I'm just thinking kind of short term it's probably the the most recent thing like building content um and and, you know putting a plan together building a team and what we're doing at ftn now uh i'd always just been a player and a writer and um didn't didn't really ever get a chance to work the back end of things Mm -hmm. or be able to put together my own projections or my own uh you know rankings and things like that so that to me has been really exciting and really rewarding and working closely with the people there, you know, obviously, you know, Matthew Davis, Eric Cross, Michael Govier, all these guys. And um, it's been fun just kind of producing content, figuring out plans and things like that. So that's kind of the first thing that I, I think of. I don't know about like any specific league, like, you know, I haven't won an overall of anything of any sort. I've come close, you know, main event online championship. So, you know, I haven't had it there yet. Hopefully, you know, one of these years I could can make that happen. Then, then I would say that would be like the pinnacle. It's coming, man. I feel it. I, I thought you were going to say that setting the the fab prizes every week that, that that's your <laughs> your biggest accomplishment, man. Because you you always said the 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 prizes everywhere, man. Yeah, I mean it. It's there's a lot of obviously there's a lot of you know fab content out there, and it's so hard because I, I you know you try to cover the bases for a lot of people and and try not to be too NFBC centric because there are a lot of people that play mm-hmm. in in so many other different formats. So try not to be, you know, obviously try, you know, to be too exclusive and, and the ranges on the fab have to be pretty wide, right? Like they're just, you know, for every league and for every player, it's just so different and so vast and you, you can't tell exactly what everybody needs or what, what each league looks like, but kind of try to try to do your best and at least try to sort them in a, in a proper ranking and separate the 15 and the 12 teamers and kind of go from there. Sure, sure. Uh, and it's a gold standard, man. Thank you. I appreciate that, Carlos. <laughs> no, for sure. All right. So usually in this segment, uh, we call it our fantasy follow-up. We, uh, we we like to dig into whatever team we're covering. We dig into the ADP and and just have a discussion around players that we're interested in, guys, or guys we're fading and, and give reasons for that. So um, we want to transition to that now and hear from you, Vlad. We'll start with you and we'll we'll just kind of go around. Uh, what's uh, one Dodgers player? And we're bringing you on. If anybody who doesn't know, you're uh, out in LA. You're a Dodgers fan. Yep. Um, so you follow this team closely. What is one Dodgers player going in the top 150 uh, that you are most interested in this coming season? 
Uh, you know, it's it's funny. There there's some there are less Dodgers players in the top 150 than in the past. It's they're almost <laughs> like values, right? I mean, they're they're guys. I'm sure we'll talk about them in the bit. That that's where I guess most of the the profit is is are going to be the guys that go after 200 um, that are going to get playing time. But if I'm just looking at one person in top 150 that I think could be the most profitable, probably Max Muncie. Um, he is right around that border, right? So he's going like, you know, 135, 150, like, you know, ninth, 10th round. He's uh, two position eligible. He's somebody that I was not really into even a month ago. I was not drafting him. I wasn't touching him because we're kind of in draft champions, draft and hold season. Man- Muncy with the elbow and and everything last year does feel like a little risky, but I also feel like there's a little bit of bounce back. You know, he's one of, uh, one of I think, only three or four players that has hit 30 plus, 35 plus home runs in like three of the last four full seasons. Um, obviously the batting average is what's kind of keeping people away from him, but it's going to be hitting right in the middle of the lineup. You know, the walk rate didn't dip at all. He's still one of the, you know, one, one of the guys that gets on base more, more than anyone, um, obviously a little better suited in like OBP leagues and things like that, but it's hard to really get a profit on somebody like Mookie Betts or a Freddie Freeman. Mm-hmm. They're really like yeah. kind of going at the end of the first round and, and Will Smith, you know, I mean, solid, but you know, catcher still fourth, fifth round. If I'm looking for like a profit, I think probably you know max Muncie would fit the bill best there that that multi-position eligibility um hoping that he benefits from the, sh- the new shift rules uh, there's a lot to like there especially uh at his price uh let's go to mike who are you most interested in who's drawing your eye in that top 150 Ooh, well you know i think what vlad said is really spot on there i mean i i, I don't there's only six guys i think on the dodgers that are within the top 150 right now according to ADP. And I think Muncie is a real, really great guy to take a look at there. I mean, you said the multi-positional eligibility, which is always really helpful in our league, but the fact that he's probably going to walk into 30 home runs is the thing that intrigues me the most. And I think that there's a lot to be said for that consistency, even though the va- the batting average is a hit. I, I sometimes go back and forth on that because I wonder if people don't really necessarily worry about batting average as much as they used to. It feels like people are I don't want to say punting that category more often, but maybe disregarding it a little bit more than what they used to. So I would uh, take the easy route here and go with Vlad's idea on Muncie. Okay. All right, Carlos, I'm going to ask you a specific question about a player in the top 150. And uh, you're the pitching guy. You've got your specs model. Uh, Tell me about Julio Urias. Is he someone... Uh, that you are buying into this year at his price. And his ADP is around pick 60 right now. So going in like that SP2 range, there's been a lot of discussion about him. You know, he he's not an elite strikeout guy, but, um, you know, those those ratios are always good. Being on the Dodgers, that's the best team context you could be in. Yeah. Um, are you buying in to him at that price? It, if he falls there for me, yes, but I'm not specifically targeting him. Yeah, Julio. Okay. Um, I'm a little concerned about um, if if he can, you know, re, re, if if he can repeat what he did in the past. He was a little bit lucky. He can eat innings. That's something that you. I thought he couldn't, but he 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 can do it, and that's great. I'm pitching for the Dodgers. Those pesky wins are gonna be there. That are. Mm-hmm. Sometimes we we tend to ignore the wins because they are so random. But uh, the only one of the ways is getting guys that that pitch for good teams. That it, it sounds simple and stupid, but but that's the most the, the easiest way 
if you can, if you want to call it easy. But at that range, I, I would be targeting guys like um, Luis Castillo or even Kevin Gossman for that are going close in that ADP. There's just yeah, I, I don't know. Maybe I'm just following the projections too closely, but I just. I can't buy into him at that price. And it it burned me last year uh, and it may very well burn me again. Um, but uh, Mike, why don't you take us away with the next next segment on post 380p guys? Yeah. So Vlad, that's another, uh, you know, you, you made a really good comment earlier about there not being a lot of Dodger players in that top 150. So our next question for you is who is one player that's past pick 300 that you might have interest in on the Dodgers? Well, well, I guess that it disqualifies Miguel Vargas, who I think is uh, an amazing, he's going to be an amazing player. I think he's going to make some solid profit. I think if you're kind of looking at roster resource and showing him like hitting ninth right now, um, I think he's not going to be hitting ninth. I think he's going to be kind of hitting higher up in that lineup, maybe sixth or seventh. um, And he's going to play a lot of second base. He'll gain position eligibility. So, but he's out of our discussion, I guess, for the the sake of him not being in the top 300. Uh, I guess I'd have to say Trace Thompson, uh, only because he's kind of revived his career. Um, it's funny. I, I think I heard somebody, I don't know, somebody tweeted something about how they don't like using the word pedigree for, for like MLB players. I think I just saw it like the other day in a tweet or something, which was, I thought was funny. So I try not to use the word. Ryan Venantio, I think. Ryan did. Okay. Yeah. 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 Um, but like, you know, he's got the, you know, the blood there is, you know, brothers, like all-star MLB player, like, you know, you know, Trace Thompson. Right. But the interesting part about his career and I, I just don't want to make any assumptions, you know, of like usage of other things. And I won't even go there. But the fact that he's been like two different people from his days, you know, previous to 2018, 2019, like pre-pandemic uh, to what he's been the last like basically half a season. Um, what that difference is, is first of all, this is a guy that basically had like a 5%, 6% barrel rate. He was 16% last year, 16.5%. Um, same thing, exit average exit velo was around 88 over the first four like partial seasons of his career. Uh, since 2021, 92.5% um, on the exit velocity. So there's something there. He's figured something out and unlocked something. Don't know who he's working with, maybe some hitting coaches. Now you've got Robert Von Soyak, who is the guy that basically kind of helped make J.D. Martinez who he is. And you got him maybe hopefully working with Trace Thompson. There could be something here. He could end up just being a platoon guy. Uh, or he can just get full time at bats because they don't really have much outfield depth. You know, they they just really don't have anyone. You got guys like Trace Thompson and James Altman are probably going to play a lot. And unless they sign people, um, I, I did have a couple thoughts in mind. Uh, but unless they sign people, I think Trace might play a lot and could really earn good value. Mm-hmm. Just to add a, a, a little nugget there for for Thompson, I was checking at the guys that uh, increased the most their 19th percentile max exit velocity last year from first half to second half and he was like in the top 30 of for those so that that's significant mm-hmm. for for these guys there's nothing mm-hmm. chris who are you targeting after 300 all right so i'm gonna go the other direction for that center field job i'm gonna gonna go with james outman um and that was uh in our discussion with fabian uh, that was someone he identified as he thinks is the favorite to be the center fielder. Uh, I just think where he's going right now, uh, I mean, Thompson's going late too, uh, but he's going even after him, 468. Uh, I guess at that point in draft doesn't even matter. Um, can't stick to ADP too closely, but you know, I, I think he's definitely worth the risk. If you're in a DC, um, I, I just think given the power uh, that he showed, he's got some speed. 
Uh, he's got a, a little too much strikeout in his game right now. So that's really the the reservation with him. But I think he he's one of those players take a flyer on. And if if he gets the majority strong side platoon in center field for the Dodgers, uh, he's going to be definitely you're getting good value out of that pick. So he he would be my guy. By the way, I I had got them both in my last DC. So I think it was like okay. two rounds apart. But so I got a, yep. you know, a little best of both worlds. There you go. Carlos, who do you like there? Uh, I like an, an old fellow uh, on Chris Taylor. If But, of course, if you're needing a few homers and stolen bases, he, he can help in that. He he always have some power. He can get double digits and stolen bases. And, and at that point, you might be trying to fill some holes in your in your roster. So you could do a lot worse than, than getting Taylor there at, after the 300 mark. That's what my wife said when we got married. She could do a lot worse. <laughs> she, she's, she's wise. She's wise. I don't know about that. But um, yeah, Mrs. Carter's not going to get this one, right, Chris? No. So in a, no, uh, I agree with you. I like Chris Taylor, too. I've actually been telling people that have been asking, the, like the three people that asked me uh, about him. I think he's got some potential value there, especially with the dual eligibility. Um, you're looking for some home runs and steals late. I think he might rebound a little bit from last year. So that's an interesting kind of thing to look at there with with those guys. Um, he is uh, just quickly on Taylor. I, I saw that he was working. I believe it was, it was with Driveline, if I'm not mistaken. So take mm-hmm. that for what it's worth. But you always like to see guys trying different things, and uh, you know maybe he makes some improvements. So, well, I know it's hard to kind of prognosticate how things are going to go, and you know we we've, we've looked at this team, and obviously we know that the the top half of the lineup is pretty outstanding and there's some questions that are kind of following after the four or five spot there where do you think this team might make some additions I mean the the Dodgers are one of the most astute organizations in baseball they seem to really be able to find pockets of value with players that they have on their team but they also are known to go after somebody that they really want do you see them making a big move at some point during the season and if so anybody that you might speculate on there I think the the major play here and the plan and the reason why they've been quiet so off season, it's no secret. It's because they want to go after Shohei Otani yeah. and they'll probably go toe to toe with the Mets uh, for, for those services. So we'll see how that happens or how that all plays out during the season. I don't know. That's a great question. I haven't given it much thought. Um, it, it does. It is weird seeing a, a roster that basically, you know, has, uh, you know, Jason Hayward on, on the bench mm-hmm. right now, right. Trying to, mm-hmm. trying to crack the, the line of it's, it's really odd. So I think there could be, even a couple of signings preseason. I mean, for example, Jerkson Profar is still out there. I think he would actually make a good fit here. Um, even maybe somebody like, you know, they have enough lefty bats, so I don't think they'll go after a David Peralta, but that's another kind of solid veteran, you know, knows the division that that might be interested in. Some of those are all like kind of smaller moves, um, but we'll see. I don't, I don't think they'll do a lot as long as they don't fall too behind uh, in that division. I don't think they'll do a lot in the first few months, and then we'll see. Obviously, they'll kind of make their big splashes during, uh, you know, around the trade deadline. But really, um, I think it's gonna it's gonna be driven by the health of their starting pitchers because all these guys have issues. You look at all of them, right? Like Dustin May has a innings uh, limit for sure. We know that. Um, you know, Noah Syndergaard's had his issues over the past. Tony Gonsolin you know, was injured part of last season. Urias has been dependable. Uh, Urias has been dependable, and Clayton Kershaw's really don't know at this point. Uh, you hope that he'll be fine, but he's turning thirty five. So yeah, I mean, and obviously they got guys, you know, young guys. We have Gavin Stone, Bobby Miller, like Ryan Pepio, like good arms. Bobby Miller, I think, is the best of all those who could come in and step in. But you also need some some veteran presence, some leadership. So we'll see how it plays out. But I could see them 
going after a, a big arm at some point too. I, I'll let you fans from Dodgers and Yankees dream with Otani, but the A's are going to get him. Okay, so the, I think uh, so. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. Well, they already they have Ken Waldachuk. They don't need anything. Carlos. All right. They're they're set. Yeah. They're set. Silver linings, they say, right? That's right. That's right. Glad. Do you think it? Um, we asked Fabian this question when he was on with us earlier too. Um, and then we know that you're a Dodgers fan, so you're going to be predisposed to maybe say yes to this, but do you think the team as constructed has enough to be able to hold off the Padres? I don't know if it's hold off now. I think it's maybe kind of flipped the other way, uh, to be honest. I think the, you know, honestly, um, I, I think the Padres have a slightly better team, um, especially if Fernando Tatis is healthy for the whole season and he's good to go. Um, and then maybe they figure things out at the back end of that bullpen. I'm sorry, back into that rotation. Cause you have their, their frontline three starters, um, you know, they're, they're, they're amazing. They're awesome. But then, you know, if you got Nick Martinez there and, um, Seth Lugo, I guess, I don't know, you know, how, how, how that's going to work out. So, um, yeah, I, I think it'll be close. I think it'll be a kind of a two team race. I'm not really worried about the, you know, the giants, I think the diamondbacks will improve a little bit, but I think the Padres are going to be, even if not on paper, I think to me, they'll be kind of like slight favorites and, and yeah, I kind of like being in the, the underdog seat for the first time. I don't know if that's actually the case. But I think the doctors are going to have more workout cut out for them this year than in the last half decade. Carlos, you look like you had wanted to say something. <laughs> no, no, just just wondering. Uh, and uh, how does it feel to to have a competitive team, man? So the, 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 never mind. <laughs> That's a good. Mind. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But but remember, we're the team that still like everyone tells me. You know, it's like a, well, first of all, Dodgers are very easy to to be hate hated on. Um, you know, Torres, I know you know as well with uh, with your team and the Yankees, right? But <laughs> But also, you know, when I, when we really won the last like full season championship, I was a kid. It was 88. It was the Gibson right. home run. It was like the greatest moment of. Uh, who, did they, who did they beat? The A's. Yeah. The A's. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> but, but what I'm saying is since then, uh, the only championship we won, as I'm always reminded that it is in the shortened season. So I can never even have that whenever somebody says, oh, you won. It's like, ah, it doesn't count. It's 2020. There's the asterisk. Yeah. Yeah. Flags fly forever, boys. No doubt. No doubt. All right. Since we're going to go, you you went down memory lane with the Kyle Gibson. Uh, Kyle Gibson. Oh, gosh. Kyle Gibson. I'm, I'm at that point in my DC that uh, um, <laughs> what the hell was the guy's name? They hit the home run. You just oh, said Kirk. it. Kirk, Kirk, Kirk Gibson. Kirk yeah. Gibson. OK, Kirk. yeah. Yeah. I'm about to draft Kyle Gibson. But uh, I, I'm just looking at a list and you know how they say like on Twitter that guys would rather just name random uh, sports players and go to therapy. Um, mm -hmm. Well, yeah, I'd rather do that. Um, I'm looking at a list of the 1997 Dodgers. So I want you, Vlad, I'm going to give you some names. And out of those names, I'm going to, I want you to pick who were your favorite players on this team. All right. We got Chanho Park, Piazza, Hideo Nomo, Wilton Guerrero, and Todd mm -hmm. Hollinsworth. I mean, those, yeah. Those are some names. Who who was your favorite player back in the day? I'll give you Eric Carroll's too. Okay. Ah. Yeah, and this is um this was I think my this is like the team I watched the least in my life because it really? was my freshman okay. year of college. That's the only reason because I you know new experiences all and right, I, all right. I didn't like have TVs. I don't think we watched TV. <laughs> uh, but obviously you know do remember that era and, and that team. Uh, but I was always you know I was always a obviously a big Piazza guy. Um, you know, I was drafting whenever I could. I know he hit 40 homers that year and had just like a massive season. So I was a big fan of his. I think, um, you know, Brett Butler was on that team. If you remember that guy, yeah, 
Uh, he was 40 years old and, and, and on that team that year. Um, and then obviously I've always a big Hideo Nomo fan. He was always a stud and, um, was, was really unhittable for quite some time. Um, so yeah, it was, a it was, a it was a good team. It's a very good team. Brett Butler was the best bunter I've ever seen yep. ever. What's that bunt? What's that? Oh, I do. I was really good at it, Carlos, because I couldn't hit. So I was bunting. <laughs> I, had to I was do bunting something. a lot. <laughs> well, Vlad, you know, it's been a pleasure having you on. We know that we're kind of coming up to the end of our time with you so that you can do your fatherly duties and get the kids to bed and everything. But we like to end our show with something a little bit different that we don't feel like anyone else is really doing. And we call it our mental health minute. We have some listeners that have reached out to us and have asked about some mental health stuff. You know, uh, Chris and I both work in mental health field as a as a living. What what's something that you're doing for yourself these days to kind of help yourself stay grounded and and you know keep things real? You're obviously a very busy guy. You you know you, you got a, a young family. You're very busy with your site. What's something that you're doing for yourself to kind of take care of yourself as a guy in the world right now? Uh, I think. I, I, I'm not as good at this as I, I would like to be. And this is actually a really good um, reminder to do it is to be able to disconnect from the cell phone more often. Um, you know, for yeah. example, I, you know, I, I don't get to exercise as, as much as I used to, you know, in my twenties and thirties. And, um, it, but I do have, we have a big dog and, you know, I'm walking him two, three times a day. Mm-hmm. And during that time, um, I try to be off my phone if at all possible. Um, Lately, I've been kind of drafting underdogs as I walk with uh, <laughs> the dog, but it's probably not a good idea just for the sake of like, you know, when you're able to, when you're not connected and you're not online, you're able to like kind of um, you know, disconnect and just think about things, right? And, mm-hmm. and good ideas come into your head or you just kind of reflect on things. So, um, you know, that's something I think that's important to be able to like, you know, not always be online to be able to to, to disconnect and um, and then also just not having my phone around me if I'm like playing with um, you know, mm-hmm. kids, right? like really giving them that attention. Cause even at young ages, one and three and a half, they can tell when you're not giving them attention and you're distracted by something in your phone and, you know, you just kind of feel really you know guilty about it. Just, it just doesn't feel right. So mm-hmm. uh, that's another thing that I try to do is just like be present with, uh, with my family. That's yeah, awesome. That's great. I struggle with that a lot too. So that's a good reminder. I think, I think we all do. And, you know, all of us and a lot of people in the industry are, we're just very heavily connected to our phones and social media. Mm-hmm. Um, it really, it's a struggle, man. They, they have wired these things in a way that they just, they got you hooked. Um, just this, the feed and, you know, everything that you're presented with. So, uh, yeah, I, I think that's a great goal. Something that I am working on myself. So, thank you. Know, you it's, really, it's really, it's really interesting that my, um, my daughter just turned 16 in December and she's learning how to drive. And my wife and I both have a pretty brand new cars, which is a little bit of a terrifying experience with a 16 year old driver, you know, putting them behind the wheel of a car when you're in the Chicagoland area is a little bit of a scary experience. But I had somebody say this to me the other day, and it really kind of resonated with me, which was, you know, you don't want your kids to mess up and think, oh my God, you know, dad's going to kill me. Or, you know, dad's going to somehow exact some type of revenge on me for what I've done. I want my kids to think, you know, oh man, I really screwed up. I need to call my dad. Mm-hmm. I need to, I need to talk to my dad about what just happened or what's, you know, whether it be a, a bad grade at school, whether it be, you know, taking my truck and crashing it. I, I hope that those things don't happen, but I, I think about that a lot. Like I want their experience to be with me 
hey, you know, I'm in trouble. I can rely on my dad. He's not going to scream and yell at me this, the way that maybe our dads might have done to us or our dads of other generations might be. So I think we're all on the same page with that. And that Absolutely. was kind of my my mental health minute for this week, Chris. Love it. Yeah. Yeah, I appreciate you sharing. Um, yeah, we we got to create that space for them where they uh, they feel comfortable coming to us. So for sure. Um, yeah, for me, it's just, I've just been trying to be mindful. Like I got a lot going on. I'll be honest. Like I got something going on with my job right now. Mm -hmm. I I work for a company now that, uh, you know, they're looking at some pretty massive layoffs and, you know, there's just that every day that there's that uncertainty there. And, um, you know, sometimes I just get, I get stuck thinking ahead and you have to, to a certain extent, right? Like that's, uh, that's like, uh, adaptive for us to be able to think and plan ahead. But for me, a lot of times it's on overdrive, right? Mm-hmm, it, mm-hmm. it becomes this really, uh, overwhelming anxiety. And for me, it's just, remember, you use the word grounded and I got to find ways to ground myself. Like just taking a deep breath, man. Like it's so cliche, you know, everybody says, Oh, just take a deep breath. But there is such a powerful effect that that has just taking a minute, yeah. closing your eyes. Like, like how many of us do that? you know, like actually sit there and breathe mindfully uh, for a minute or two. And I tell you, like, it just it's like it's a reset button for me. So just breathing, just reminding myself like to stay in the moment, do the best I can in that moment rather than just projecting into the future or regretting maybe things that have happened in the past. Just trying to Mm -hmm. live in the now. At my age, if I close my eyes for a minute or two, I'm probably going to be asleep. I'm well, that happens sometimes too. Yeah, that's what happens. That's what happens when you're almost fifty, guys. I'm yeah. going to tell you. So, <laughs> Carlos, how about you? What are you doing to take care of yourself this week? Uh, well, actually, trying to get more sleep, man. Mm-hmm. That, that, that's something that I've been neglecting for for too long for for the past. I don't know, three, four months is that I'm trying to make, uh, uh, you know, a point to going to bed early. It's hard. I, I almost never make it, but I, was, uh, I try to be conscious of not going too far away in, in, into the night. So that's something I, I, I'm struggling, but I, I think I'll, I'll get better at it. Mrs. Marcano is happy to see you go to bed early. So you, uh, you, leave, her, you leave her alone. Yeah, yeah man. If I see you doing this editing anymore, like at two you know, o'clock in the morning, at two yeah. o'clock yeah. in the morning, I'm gonna be pissed. All right, <laughs> we we ain't doing that no more. <laughs> but um, all right. So just to recap, just for our listeners, so Vlad, you were talking about just uh being you know less attached to the phone, and man, I'm so with you on that one. Uh, for me, it's just being uh just being more mindful, staying in the present. Mike, you talked about. Um, just as far as being a dad and just being there for your kids and having them feel comfortable when things go wrong to go to you rather than be scared to tell you something. And Carlos, man, like sleep, that that's the foundation, right? Like if we're not getting good sleep, we're not going to be right physically and then we're not going to be right mentally and things snowball from there. So uh, yeah, that's just one of the, the most important things. Like I'll just tell you quickly, my clients, one of the first things that I do is ask them about their sleep because- Absolutely. Like, that can be you change that. Like if you're not getting good sleep, if you address that, that probably has just as good, if not um, or, a, a better effect than any medication will have. Like if you improve your sleep from sh- crappy to, uh, you know, to at least adequate. So uh, all really good tips. So, Mike, take us home, man. So, Vlad, uh, thanks again for making time with us tonight. We know that you're a really busy guy and, and this time of year is exceptionally busy for you. 
Can you tell everybody if they don't already know where they can find you and find your work? Yeah, on on, on Twitter at uh, it's at RotoGut, and then uh, the the site that uh, that we that we have is ftnfantasy.com. So a lot of uh, preseason work right now. I'm doing an NFBC positional tiers article. I just had a free article drop about uh, how to optimize uh, KDS, oh, the KDS, Kentucky yeah. Derby service, uh, Kentucky Derby uh, system, and just generally mapping out, kind of like strategizing your your, your draft plan. So a free article there on ftnfantasy.com. And uh, it's a pleasure, guys. I, I, I like, uh, you, you know, love your approach to this. And I, I definitely like the, you know, the, the mental health aspect of uh, of this at the end. So thank you all very much for for having me and happy to share the last, uh, last bit of time here with you guys. Awesome. Well, thanks, Vlad, for your time. Again, for those of you who are just uh, listening at the end here, Vlad Sadler's been with us for the last half hour, capping off our podcast that we have with Fabian Ardaya from The Athletic covering the Dodgers. Until next week, we will see you all on Twitter and have a good rest of your week. We are always available via DM if you have any questions or concerns, especially if it regards mental health or things of that nature. Looking for resources or looking for someone to talk to, we're always around. Thanks. Have a great rest of your week. <laughs>